0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the 18th episode of the Connectivity Podcast. I'm Matthias Riedström, and I've spent the last 25 years inside the connectivity community. In this pod, we invite guests to deep dive into one or many subjects to simply learn more about connectivity. In this 18th episode, I'm extremely happy to welcome back Rudolf Gordon Seymour from Telecom Sans Frontier. So let's continue the discussion. there's anything you could wish for you know what what would that be you know what is it that you that would make your lives when on the ground even even better
1: i think um i mean you know everything you know we're we're a non-profit organization we rely heavily on funding so the more funding we get (laughs) means (laughs) obviously makes life easier because we can make sure that we you know have the right equipment we have the right level of resource um i think engineering resource for us is very uh important and uh, getting the right people um on on the ground so uh, i i think it's kind of a combination of factors that really kind of comes back to the funding mm-hmm. um of the organization as a as a non-profit
0: yeah How how many assignments can you do in parallel? I I would guess there are very seldom in parallel assignments because...
1: Yeah, it's rare. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I haven't, um, I haven't seen any more than two in parallel. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, it's rare to have more than two natural disasters at any one time um, in the world, thankfully, Mm. Um, but... Obviously, you know, looking forward and, and, you know, obviously huge concerns around global warming and, and the environmental kind of destruction, um, we can only assume the number of uh, natural disasters um, will grow over time. Yeah. And then that becomes uh, a resource issue and it may become uh, an issue in terms of deciding where we deploy um, at the moment, that's not a, not a problem, um, yeah. but it could be uh, looking forward.
0: What's the typical length of an assignment? Is it a couple of days or even months?
1: Yeah, I mean, typical length is anywhere between two and six weeks. Okay. That's what we would class as an emergency response um, deployment. Uh, anything over that kind of becomes more of a long-term uh, project. So we have to kind of make a decision. Do we stay on the ground? and you know a lot of the time uh, we will work with a lot of the local responders on the ground um, and actually we we may actually leave equipment on the ground as well certainly in parts of the world where you see repeat events in terms of hurricanes and type typhoons Mm -hmm. um, we see that we see that um, probably most commonly actually in asia If
0: you think if you think about the latest assignments, you know, what is there anything you in particular remember, you know, that was a really well-done job or or something like that, you know. What is it that makes a well-done job?
1: Well, I think, you know, I don't I don't think telecoms and Frontier have ever done a bad job. no. no, no, um, no. <laughs> but I <laughs> but I think um if I look in the kind of last 12 months, and there's there's been a number of deployments actually in the last 12 months, which also added challenge of of of, of COVID, but Uh, Probably uh, one of the more kind of interesting ones was um, having to respond to the Beirut uh, port explosion because that was a really unusual event um, and not something that we would necessarily respond to. But we were kind of asked to to deploy out there and set up a call center um, and very quickly um, the engineering department created a, a really great solution for the call center, um, and they they deployed and put a network in place, and then used a, a, a WhatsApp uh, bot application um, for the affected population. So they could, because WhatsApp, we we after investigations, we we realised that was the most common platform that was used in that particular part of the world. So, so that we, we moved forward with developing um, the, the bot to work with our equipment. Um, and they could simply, and there were 300,000 um, affected people during that mm. explosion. It, it was a big deal at the yeah. time. And um, so uh, they had a very um, easy solution for people to be able to just message, which would then create an incident back at the actual call center that we'd created. Um, which was in conjunction with another NGO called uh, Live Love Lebanon. Um, so they actually provided a lot of the manpower um, and actually the uh, the site for the for the call center. Um, and that was one of those situations where we were actually working out there for a number of months, and it turned out to be a, a longer project because the needs changed over time. Um, and actually, by the end of that assignment. Um, it became more of a uh, supporting kind of the psychological needs yeah. of the population versus maybe the financial, medical, or housing needs. So it you know these things can evolve over time, but that's probably one I kind of remember just because it was a very quick decision to deploy. It was a very quick turnaround in creating a custom solution to to fit the context of that particular. Uh, disaster.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, you talked earlier about this. You're a non-profit organization and you're very much reliable on your engineers, you know. Is it hard to rec- recruit people for for these jobs?
1: Um, it's um I, I think um I think recruitment is always hard for any organization yeah. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> yeah. trying to find the right person. Um I don't think we're any different in that respect. Um I think there are probably challenges because we are an NGO. There are a maybe a particular set of skills that we require, um, but they are also very broad skill set. They're yeah. not just specific. You know, uh, there's no point in going to hire uh, someone who only knows Cisco. Um, And that's his bread and butter. So uh, I think we need a very kind of broad set of ICT um, and, you know, telecom based skills, which I think in itself can be quite difficult um, to find because you normally when you're recruiting, it is normally kind of one or the other. You don't see too much on the on the overlap side. And then there's the technology, because obviously we're very um, much satellite based. Um, and that, that's probably a niche market as well. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I would, you know, I, I think it's probably challenging, but actually I'm always amazed and surprised how many responses we get when we have an opening Yeah, because very kind of highly skilled, highly motivated people, uh, wanting to join, uh, the organization, for what would be considered um a very low remuneration compared to the commercial world. So you've got a number of factors there, a combination of factors, which you would think would make it almost impossible to recruit really good people. Um, but we've got, you know, great people and a great team. I'm and I'm, you know, I'm always amazed, you know, uh, what a great engineering and project management team we have
0: yeah so. no i can imagine and i also can imagine that experience here is extremely important you know if you've done it a few times before that's going to be so much easier uh,
1: yeah when and actually it next time. you know we you know we we don't have to recruit um a, a huge amount um actually you know most most of the people actually have um, been very long term
0: yeah i can imagine um, yeah
1: uh, personnel uh, of, of TSF so uh, rec- recruitment isn't a weekly requirement for no, us
0: no I can imagine yeah you talked about earlier also that funding is fundamental for you you know mm. how, how important how I shouldn't say easy is that but you know how do you work with that you know
1: well we I mean kind of to give you some kind of context in, in how that works obviously there's there's different um, sources of funding um our primary source is from the corporate telecoms tech world mm-hmm. um so that's probably about 70, 75 to 80 mm-hmm. percent um, of our, our funding so we rely heavily um, on uh, those partners we as opposed to individual private, donations which a lot of other ngos uh, bigger ngos um, rely on so we we're, we're more reliant on the corporate side in terms of how easy i mean it's incredibly um, challenging to um, get funding i mean probably over the years i think there's been more kind of social conscience in organisations in general so you you are seeing more organisations either expand their corporate social responsibility or indeed create um csr um departments as well and i think you know i mean i would like to think that we are a really good fit for any telecom or tech organization wanting to do corporate social responsibility i think there's some very clear overlaps in terms of what we do um, and i think um, you know we're we're lucky we've got some you know great long standing partners um and you know but al- always we're we're looking for you know new support and partners because we want to broaden our operations we want to broaden our uh, programs that we can deliver and make sure that we've got you know the the right equipment and the latest equipment to be able to put the the, the correct solution on the ground.
0: Yeah, no, I was thinking about it, getting hands on latest equipment is obviously a tough thing these days because it's changing practically every year. There's always a new box coming out. That's better than the old box. You know, H- how do you work with that? Because I guess, you know, experience of being used to some boxes are good, but at the same time, you always want to develop technology.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you look at the kind of the front end kind of network equipment, I think because we're satellite based, actually, it's not as fast moving <laughs> <laughs> as mm-hmm. the kind of more traditional network yep. world. So in in that respect, I think we're lucky because we're not having to kind of change things too much. We are constantly customizing yep. the equipment. And um, I think that's different because we're, we're still relying on um, uh, perhaps, you know, dated equipment, but we're just kind of improving it. Um, I think we probably see more uh, opportunity and change on the kind of back end of that network in terms of the devices that we connect um, to be able to provide, you know, a mini, you know, GSM network or or a VoIP service. I think that's where we see the change, but those tend to be a game off the shelf type solutions that we can um, perhaps customize um, a little bit so
0: mm, okay i guess one of the questions we have to ask is of course the one that we ask everyone you know covid19 has that mm. had any impact on your organization as i guess it's had impact on every other organization you know what how have you dealt yeah with- uh,
1: you know today it kind of seems like a long time ago where we were put in that situation you know yep. it's been it's been going on for so long now um but i yeah, i clearly remember you know when we were kind of faced with that challenge um you know like every other organization um had to adapt and and we we were no different um for for us um obviously it made deployment more challenging mm-hmm. uh because you know, you may have noticed there weren't that many airplanes in the sky um, during the first phase of uh, COVID. So that uh, that created, obviously, uh, transit issues for us. But in some respects, we were quite lucky because there weren't a huge number of natural disasters during the first um, kind of 12 months of the, of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. For some reason or another, it, 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 we were kind of just, a, you know, we were kind of lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, In that respect, um, we would have expected more deployments um, during that time. So I think that actually bought us some time to be able to adapt everything um, and make sure that we were adhering to the rules and regulations of each country. And as we know, every country, even in Western Europe, had a different set of rules. So, uh, you know, that made, I think, it very challenging for us as well. Um, And then kind of on the on the other side of that, there were like the long term programs. So certainly a lot of the education based um, programs where we had education centers, we had to move that to a distance learning um, solution. So, you know, we had to work pretty quickly, actually, um, to do that. And also we had to then start providing connectivity remotely for the classroom. And also another program was the the migrant program in in South America, uh, where we would um, have kind of information uh, diffusion centres um, dotted around in 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 South America, and certainly on the on the migrant corridor. We then had to start introducing new content and information on those screens, which was uh, around COVID. In addition to maybe the the standard content, which was around what you need to do in order to enter this country, what papers you need, right. et cetera, et cetera. So we've kind of yeah, we we had to adapt a lot, um, and certainly on the deployments, you know, there was all the testing requirements, all the uh, COVID uh, gear that we would have to you know carry, and 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 also you know make sure that our um, personnel were safe as well.
0: Yeah, no, I can imagine. That must have been really tough. Yeah.
1: And, and, and um, probably actually one of the, one of the deployments, um, which was um, quite a challenge uh, on, the, on the COVID front, was you, know, you probably remember the big um, uh, fire at the, the Lesbos refugee camp yep. um, in Greece. We'd already had infrastructure in place there to support that, that camp. And there was about 12,000 12, refugees there, so it was pretty... Pretty big camp, so we had to deploy out there and actually put new network in place for the new camp that they had to build, um, which they had, they which they did very quickly actually, and and we were actually specifically providing network for the quarantine, the COVID quarantine area of that camp. So yeah, that that was a very you know that was a pretty you know big challenge uh, at the time. And that that came right after actually the the Beirut uh, port explosions. Yeah,
0: wow, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, one of the things, you know, we're coming towards the end of this discussion, of course. But uh, how do you see the next five years for your company? You know, what's what 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 are you working on, and, and where do you see yourself going?
1: Well, I think um, uh, where, I mean I I don't see myself going anywhere, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but. Uh, I would like to, I mean, I would like to think that we will be able to grow based on, you know, further, you know, corporate funding and, and just be able to provide uh more um long-term programs around the world because there is a huge need for that. You know, uh, we'll we'll always um be carrying out the emergency deployment, you know, that's that's what TSF are kind of renowned for. But the long-term programs are equally as important. They just don't get as much media exposure. You know, if there's a natural disaster, we all see it on the news. Uh, we all know what's going on. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that people, you know, are not necessarily aware of. And I think expanding those programs, expanding the actual team, would would be great. And and also it would be great if we could utilize, you know, um, new technologies like low satellite broadband services. Um, that would be great if we could start putting that in the field in the, you know, in the next twelve months. Uh, and from my from my perspective, obviously, you know, I'd like to see lots more partners from the telecoms and tech world join us, you know, in our in our mission. So Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. And I hope some of them are listening to this so that <laughs> So do I. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So just in general, you know, we, we talk about connectivity here, you know, you, you come from a connectivity world, you know, what, what do you see in the future there? Do you, do you see any things for your company that that should change as well? You know, you mentioned satellites. Do you think 5G and all that are, are going to make huge changes to the way you work?
1: At the moment, I kind of um, see the low orbit satellite uh, broadband as the, as the kind of the big game changer for us. Yeah. I think aside from that, you know, 5G, I think, you know it is and and will be a game changer for everyone at some level mm. um how that will impact us in the next 5 years is probably unknown because you know we're working in developing economies that yeah. you know uh, i i don't expect will have the 5g infrastructure uh, in place necessarily in the next 2 years so um so it'd be interesting to see how that works and you know obviously you know any advance in Mobile, um, solutions and technology, as well as satellite, um, is is always exciting for us to 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 look at and and include.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a perfect way of ending it because I think you know you you guys are doing a fantastic job. I had hardly heard about you as you said before. Uh, I've learned so much more now. I know so much more, and I hope the the listeners are are knowing. So very much thank you, Rudolf, for for joining us. It's been great to have you here.
1: Thanks, uh, thanks, Matthias, for the invite and uh, um, and the opportunity to you know spread the, the telecoms on frontier work that we do.
0: Yeah, no, I will absolutely do my best. I, I talked to my CEO just before here, and he he was aware of you, but not too much. So
1: <laughs> let's see yeah. what we can do. So thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks.
0: Thanks everyone for listening. We will soon be back with a new guest. So please follow us on Twitter, ConnectivityPod for updates. Stay tuned until next time.